words of our text here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Psalm 119, verse 165 tells us, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The word there in the Greek, the word offend, means to scandalize or to entrap, to cause one to trip over, to stumble. And we see that we in the, the picture here, in the context here, that these words spoken of by our Lord in connection with the imprisonment of John the Baptist. But the promise is true for all believers of all time. There is a, a literal and specific comment to John the Baptist and about him at that time. But this, this promise, the blessing of the unoffended, extends down to this very hour. John was, of course, the forerunner of our Lord. His ministry was to herald the coming king. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was a mighty prophet, a fearless and Holy Spirit-controlled preacher. Oh, that the Lord would give us a wagon load, 10,000 wagon loads of preachers like John the Baptist. He shunned the favor of man. He didn't trim his message for any man. I've shared with you before, I've read where the circuit-riding preacher Peter Cartwright was preaching in near Nashville, Tennessee, and as he was about to enter the pulpit, someone handed him a note, and it said this, General Andrew Jackson is in the service today. There was a hushed silence in the room when someone of note enters a room. They all looked around and saw the esteemed general enter into the, the church house. All eyes turned toward him, and then uh, now he was the President of the United States as he entered the room. And then Cartwright had chosen for his text that Lord's Day, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Our Lord's response to the question about were those great sinners because the Tower of Siloam fell and because those uh, slaughtered by Herod. And, uh, you know, a lesser man would have been tempted, maybe, perhaps, to change his message. But it was the message that the Lord had given Peter Cartwright, and being bold as a lion, he announced his text, and he mentioned the note that he'd received upon entering the pulpit. And I've read that he said, The Holy Spirit has laid on my heart to preach from the text, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And I'm told that the Honorable General Andrew Jackson is in the house today, and I want that Honorable General to know that unless he repents, he too shall likewise perish. It's a one-size-fits-all message. Do you know that? Whether you're a general or a president or whoever you are. It is said that the president came up to him afterwards, complimented him on the, the message and invited him to the, his home, the hermitage. We need more generals with your backbone in the army, he said to Peter Cartwright. Well, we need more preachers like John the Baptist, don't we? That's the kind of a preacher that John the Baptist was. It didn't matter who was in the audience. He had a message from the Lord and he was duty-bound to preach it. He openly challenged the king. You can imagine the circumstances that surrounded his imprisonment. King Herod with the sin of adultery with Herodias, his brother's wife. Just how it came to pass that they heard that he was preaching against their sin 
uh, as a result, Herod had John arrested and put in prison a foul, stinking, insanitary cell. But Herod didn't know quite what to do with his prisoner. The popularity of John was such that he feared an uprising from the people, and yet his wife was demanding that restitution and that he pay for putting her in such a bad light. Isn't it amazing that people are in a bad light, get offended when they're put in a bad light? There she was living in adultery, and she was upset that someone pointed that out. Such it is, those who live in sin. His health, no doubt, was affected. His spirits were depressed, and and then doubt soon followed. Now, there are different approaches or different opinions about what transpires. Some believe that John himself did not doubt at all, but his followers who were many, and as Jesus was rising to preeminence and the numbers turned from following John to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they were offended. They did not fully understand it all and wondering why their leader was suffering in prison and why uh, the followers were turning uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were disillusioned. And so some commentators will say that, that John was not disillusioned whatsoever, but that uh, he sent these followers of his to bolster their faith and to let them see that Christ is truly who he says he was. I don't hold that opinion. I believe that John was as human as you and I are. And I think in that dank cell, being there for solely preaching the uncompromised Word of God that John thought, could it be that I've missed it? Have I been a fool? Is this all there is to it? I'm sure the devil whispered, so this is how the Father rewards you for being a prophet? This is what you get? This is a prophet's hire being treated so inhumanely? Is this how your father treats your children? This is exactly how Satan came against our Lord in the great wilderness temptation. You're the son of God. Does the son of God suffer and and starve and not have food? Why, if you're the son of God, show whose you are. You know how Satan does. And I'm sure there's not a person in this room that has followed the Lord very long that at some point you've hit a snag, some circumstance, some relationship, some misunderstanding, And it seems as if the Lord's face was turned against you and that you're under the the shadow of darkness instead of walking in the light and you begin to wonder about it all. Hurt feelings may have turned to doubt and doubt turns to depression and, and, and right around the corner from depression, do you know what lives right around the corner from depression? Bitterness. John had, by human reasoning, if you look at it from that perspective, every right to be offended. And so he sends two of his friends. You remember early in John's ministry when uh, he saw the Lord Jesus, some left him and followed the Jesus when he followed the, the Messiah when he pointed out that's who he was. He sends two of his associates to where Jesus was ministering. And as they see the Lord in his power and might and authority, his humility... He told them to ask the Lord this question. Are you the one who is to come, or do we look for another? 
John, who leaped in his mother's womb when the expectant Mary entered their home. John, the forerunner of our Lord, who who looked up one day and saw Jesus walking toward him and exclaimed for all to hear, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John, who the Lord submitted to him himself for baptism. And John said, I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoe latch, uh, laces. I should baptize you. And, and, and Jesus submitted to the baptism of John. Can you imagine uh, the, the humility of John taking in his hands the Lord Jesus and baptizing him? Now it seems that circumstances have changed. And by the way, we never know what life's going to turn out to be, do we? You may be the center of attention just now, the height of your career, others surrounding you, looking to you for leadership and guidance. You may be the supervisor, you may be the head of a corporation, the teacher of a classroom, the principal of a school, the head of a bank, whatever it may be, the pastor of a large a congregation, but none of us know what a day will bring forth. We do not know if the Lord tarries what the latter end will be like. With your well-orchestrated and well-planned out lives, you, not one in this room can tell me what the conditions will be when it's your time to go. We tonight sit here clothed in our right minds, enjoying the blessings of the Lord, and it seemed to have things figured out. But who knows what will transpire between now and then. Who knows what the Lord and His sovereignty may allow to be your lot in life. John is in prison for, for no other reason but obeying the call of God. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And as we see here, our Lord gives him a compliment unheralded to any person who ever walked the face of the earth. Our Lord tells that John, there's not a, a person, man born among women greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine? What a compliment. So if our Lord is uh, speaking to John's disciples, and if John does have whatever you want to call it, an eclipse of faith, I don't think we could call it that. Perhaps a daily... As people, would, they would allow visitation, the, the followers of John would trickle in or look through the bars and say, John, what's, what is this all about? Why are you here? You're suffering for, for preaching the truth. And, and is this, have we missed it? Maybe others did put uh, doubts in his heart and mind. People can do that, can't they? Are you sure about your beliefs? Are you sure about your standing? Are you sure about the scriptures? And they came to John. Now, let's not be too hard on John. None of us are in a prison like that tonight, are we? None of us are in those, that dire of circumstances. None of us are awaiting the chopping block to have our head chopped off for nothing more than serving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, seeking first the kingdom of God and preaching the kingdom of God, obeying the Lord's call in his life. And so we can understand how John might think, if that's indeed what he's thinking. Have, have I missed it? What about all this? Life has not been easy, and from the outside it looks as if God has not been fair 
John is there, and he he's on the brink of perhaps bitterness. And I may be reading too much in the text here. But at any rate, he sends his followers to get a report from the Lord Jesus Christ. He asks for some answers, and we see, interestingly, the Lord's reply in verses 4 and 5. He did not say, and our Lord often answered questions in this way, to give greater proof, to make his askers, his inquirers think. We do so little of that. We let others think for us. But followers of Jesus Christ are to meditate on his word and to dig into his word and ask those deep questions that come our way and think about them and to meditate upon the circumstances of life and compare scripture with scripture. And our Lord answers, he did not, notice what he did not say. He did not say, of course I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. What do you mean asking me such a question? He said, go and and show John again those things which you do hear and see again. Show him again. John had already witnessed the great things of our Lord. And these who came to the Lord Jesus Christ saw him in the midst of his ministry. The blind received their sight. That was, that was a documented. It was no dispute about that. That was noised abroad. There are those who could testify that they had been born blind and now saw. Tell John that you have seen people heal today. Only the Messiah could do those creative miracles. The lame received their... They can walk and the lepers are cleansed. There was no way on earth a leper could cleanse himself what a death notice that was. And the Lord miraculously caused, no doubt, the, the skin to grow back and the, the lost digits to be restored. It was a miraculous creative miracle, the healing of leprosy. Tell John that lepers are cleansed. Not only physical lepers, but spiritual lepers, which we all are, aren't we? Filled with the, the leprosy of sin. The deaf here. And the dead are raised up. What miracles these could report back to John. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus condescended to all walks of life. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached. Repent and believe the gospel he began to preach. And tell John that I'm preaching the gospel. I'm heralding the news that he began. And show him the results of the power of the Holy Spirit's work and ministry. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you think you would see? <laughs> what kind of man do you think John was? The Lord's miracles, what he had done that no one else could do, these spoke for themselves. They were evidences and tokens of his Messiahship. They were authentications that he was the Savior, the Son of God. And, and then Jesus went on to say in verse 6, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me or because of me. Let me ask you a question tonight. Have the circumstances in your life caused you to stumble? in your walk with the Lord, has the Lord, in effect, then become 
a stumbling block if you become offended because of him. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, church, let me just say right here, the dear brother Pridmore here and I were speaking before the service that we live in an unprecedented day. And I believe if the Lord tarries his coming, that we're going to see many occasions for the professing followers of Jesus Christ to be offended, to stumble, to question it all. We've had such a luxurious faith, such a shielded faith. We've been able to evangelize and to propagate the gospel largely unhindered. We know nothing of suffering for the cause of Christ in this spoiled, rich, prosperous country. We know nothing of the suffering that our brothers and sisters across the world have long known. There are pastors in prison all over the world who could be offended that they're there for nothing but following the Lord and preaching His glorious gospel. And I believe we've been spoiled. I've heard Adrian Rogers say we've been cursed with blessings. And they've not drawn us closer to the Lord, have they? His church is not purified because of it. And like Israel of old, He has sent us our request, but sent leanness to our soul. Jesus was saying, there is a price to pay to be my disciple. He's always said that. Modern day evangelism and so-called Christianity has watered it down, but make no mistake about it, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly announced, if any will come after me, you want to be a follower of me? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me when it's convenient. No, follow me daily. That is the cry of the gospel. That is the claims of Jesus Christ. And dare we preach a gospel that we do not tell people, you're to follow Him as Savior and Lord, and and follow Him no matter what the cost is, no matter how you may suffer. Offended in Christ? There is a sacrifice. We're to present these bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. He gave His body for us, did He not? There is also not only... A sacrifice, and let me remind us that not all of your questions will be answered down here below. We have questions, don't we? Those whys and wherefores and ifs. Lord, why is it thus? And why have you allowed this into my life or or not given me this that I thought would be exactly what I needed? There will be plenty of unanswered questions here below. And I point you to the same proofs that our Lord pointed to, to John's question. Are you the Christ or do we seek another? Let me just say here this Lord's Day evening, there is no other. He alone is the Savior. Go and look and see. Never a man spake like this man. No one can do the things that he did. He is the Savior Look into your own heart, your own conversion. How can you explain that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at how He's guided and provided to this very hour. Look at the marks of His grace all around us. 
Look at the stones of remembrance, the Ebenezers we could all point to and say, yes, yes, yes. Another? We would not take another. If there was another, he's the only Savior. But I want you to look at the statement there in verse 6, and I want us to examine it a bit tonight. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me, shall not be stumbled, shall not be caused to have a stumbling block because of my claims or because of my call in their life. God is sovereign. He is in absolute control even when it doesn't feel like it. Do you think that John felt like God was sovereign in that horrible prison? And so doubt comes to the sovereignty of God when His sovereignty crosses our will and crosses our comfort or our plans. Now, John, called to be a prophet, probably had no doubt that his message would not be well received. I mean, this is not the day of easy believism or an easy way as we see here in America. He was going against all of Judaism and all those in authority. His message, though welcomed and received by the thousands of the common people, was not looked highly upon by those in leadership. But God was in control, and He is in control. Would you just put that down where you keep your important messages, no matter if the Supreme Court rules everything we hold dear to be illegal, God is still in control. God's sovereignty is not based on those nine justices or who's in the White House or who's in the State House or what the economy is doing or whether the stock market falls 900 points tomorrow or whether some other country takes over the world. Those things have no bearing on the sovereignty of God. Jesus knew all about John's situation, didn't he? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows our down-sitting and uprising, and our thoughts from afar. He knew where John was, and he knew what he was going through. And may I tell you tonight, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're suffering, or what you're enduring. In fact, Jesus knew that in a short time that John would be beheaded for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's more... Let's just face it. Our Lord could have intervened. He that heals lepers and gives the lame their ability to walk and the blind their sight. And he that can raise the the dead from the dead. Could he not speak and those prison bars open and John have walked out? I mean, Roland, if, if Christ is the sovereign God of the universe, could he not have changed? Could he not have performed yet another miracle? along with these others that he points to that have reference to his deity, could he not have performed a miracle and caused Herod to let John out of prison? He could have delivered John. But he didn't. John, who was filled with the Spirit in Luke chapter 115, we see here in verse 11, As I've already mentioned, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What a compliment. 
The Lord is not wringing his hands in heaven right now over my situation or your situation. He is grieved at sin, and I know he's grieved at this country because the Bible says, Blessed is the the nation whose God is the Lord. And yet, God's hands are not tied. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. Sometimes our circumstances are like a prison. We're all hemmed in. We, We can't change anything. But the truth is, God knows it, and He's working His sovereign plan. Sometimes He leaves us in a prison of grief or disappointment, of sorrow or sickness. The question comes, why does He do that? Why does John the Baptist suffer? Why is he allowed to be beheaded? Why does He not always deliver if He's the Deliverer, the Messiah, the Savior. The secret things belong to the Lord. And I can't answer all those questions, those whys. But I know this, He is working in perfect harmony with His perfect will, established before the foundations of the world, and He's working His will for you in accordance to the precepts of His Word. We know Paul writes, we know, we don't think so, we don't feel like it. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things. Imprisonment for preaching. You fill in the blank. All things is what? All things. And our Lord assures us that they will work together to them that love, the, that love God for good. It will work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. By faith we can call it good. In fact, we're told in everything to give thanks, aren't we? Does that mean in the things that feel good, the things we like? I think in, just as all things mean all things, in everything means in everything give thanks. Your captivity may change as Job's did when you learned to pray. And say, Lord, thank you for this prison. We can trust him. He's never made a single mistake, has he? Let's look at our God's track record. He never will. We can choose not to be offended, and therein lies the blessing, because we read here, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. As I mentioned, the the Greek word for offend means stumbling block or obstacle to cause to fall. It can also mean to scandalize or a snare. Our God is sovereign in all of his dealings with his children and what he allows is what we ourselves would choose if we had all the facts and if we knew everything that he knows. And so we're his. We're his in salvation. He He owns us. He indwells us. These bodies are His. What? Know you not that you are His temple. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. What's the result? Therefore, glorify God. And if He chooses how we're to glorify Him, that's His choice, isn't it? If John can glorify Him best in a prison, standing for what is right, preaching the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ, and if He's to die a martyr's death at the cruel hands of Herod, so be it. 
I remind you that God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And there's a great day coming when every wrong will be right. But not only do we, we see that ble- this blessing that he, he mentions, but we ask also, when we, when we question his goodness, we become offended. That's exactly what Satan did in the garden to, to Eve. Did God say, has he really said that? Does he mean that? He began to question the goodness of God by, uh, by pointing out the tree that, that God forbid them to, to eat from. It's easy to do because sometimes the circumstances that we find ourselves in seem to be inconsistent with God's love and his wisdom. We often say this, this isn't, fill in the blank, right. Don't we say that? When, when a circumstance has come our way that seems unfair or unjust, and we often, in our witnessing, we will often hear people say, if there's a just God in heaven or a God of love, and what's the rest of it? Why would he blah, 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 blah. The circumstances that we find ourselves in seem to be inconsistent with what we know of God. And so we say, and we hear often, this is not right. God's dealings with us are are never inconsistent with his attributes. Do you know that God could no more violate his attributes than than, than you could cause the the sun to cease to shine? When he said, when Abraham prayed and intervened on behalf of his nephew Lot, remember the basis of his praying? When he asked the Lord to, to, to save Lot and the righteous there, in Sodom, and Abraham thought there was much more righteous in, in, in Sodom than what there were. What was the basis of his praying? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's a rhetorical question. And the answer to a rhetorical question is obvious. We could, we could put it this way. Of course the judge of all the earth can only do that, which is right. We think of John in prison. We think of Paul and Silas being beaten and in jail. We could give countless other examples, not only in the Bible, of martyrs down through the ages, of the seeming inconsistencies in God's dealings with us. Think of Job. Humanly speaking, you'd say, that's not right. For one person to, to suffer all that he suffer suffered and to lose all that he he lost, all at the hands of of Satan being allowed to work in his life like he did. He he was allowed by the Lord to to cause those circumstances to come in Job's life. What despair, what depression flooded upon Job. Did God really love and care about him? We know the whole story. Job never saw what we saw. He didn't have the luxury of sitting where we sit and having the the Word of God as we have it and being able to see the whole thing. But he knew this. My Redeemer liveth. And I will stand, he will stand one day, and I, these eyes will see him and not another. The Lord knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, what did Job say? I shall come forth. Is gold. Many such things are with him. Did God know all about Job? Did he know that he was permitting these trials and heartaches to come upon him for some wise and loving purpose? 
What blessing have the, the people of God received from Job's trials down to this very hour? And often we'll turn there and get a glimpse into the unseen workings between in the spirit world. When things like this happen, it is so easy to ask why. And behind that question is the awful thought that perhaps God does not care. Remember the disciples in the storm on a boat that the Lord had put them on. He said, let us go to the other side. And let me remind you, if the Lord says, let us go to the other side, that's going to happen, isn't it? We're going to get to the other side. His command, let's go to the other side, God never says something that He doesn't fulfill. And may I remind you of that in any area in our lives as well? If He says we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. When the storm came and He was asleep in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, what a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit records of, to, for us of our Lord. And they awake Him and they say unto Him, Master, the stupidest question in all the Bible. It's not nice to say. My mother didn't let us use the word stupid. That was an offensive word to her. She had her own standard of what was slang or cursing. And we couldn't say something was stupid. We couldn't, certainly couldn't call somebody stupid. And so I feel a little troubled by even saying that word. But that's the only way I can describe this question. This question they asked the Lord is a stupid question, isn't it? Do you not care that we're going to perish? When troubles come, the temptation is to falter, or as the text says, to be offended, stumbling, and give an excuse for why we're not doing what we ought to do or being where we ought to be. We have many examples in the Bible of people who refuse to be offended by the circumstances, who refuse to follow them or to be a stum- allow them to be a stumbling block on the road to heaven. Job was never offended at the Lord, was he? He, 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 he questioned as anybody would and wondered and, and was uh, berailed by friends and his wife and all of the, None of that was, was enjoyable, but he was never offended in the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to be offended. What did they say? The Lord will deliver us, can deliver us, and, and if not, what? You know, so be it. The Apostle Paul was not offended. When he was shipwrecked in the storm, he testified in Acts 27, verse 25, I exhort you to be of good cheer. Be of good cheer? We've just been shipwrecked. Be of good cheer? What kind of, you know, Pollyanna advice is that? He said, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Those three words, I believe. Believe God. They remind me of Daniel's answer to the king. There is a God in heaven. The storm, they're shipwrecked, and Paul says, well, I believe God. And do you know that makes all the difference between you and an unsaved person or between you and a person who's been scandalized by the things that have happened in their life? You say, you know, I don't understand all this, and it doesn't feel good, and I wish it would go away. My heart is broken but I believe God. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now the Lord had told Paul what would come to pass. And we've been told 
you hold in your lap all that God wants man to know. We have it to the very last amen of how God is going to deal with this earth. There have been countless of God's children down to the ages who in the midst of trials and overwhelming sorrow have trusted in the Lord and who have not been offended, who have not stumbled because of their, their dealings with Him. I think of people like Corey Ten Boom and, and others and Darlene Rose and others who suffered greatly who did not become offended by their circumstances. May I remind us tonight on this hot July Sunday evening, the grace of God is always sufficient. It alone is all we need. It is always enough for the trusting soul. Thirdly, we see that there is a a special blessing promised here to the Lord's people when in time of testing they remain unoffended, unscandalized, unstumbled. Uh, That's not even a word, is it? But they refuse to be uh, to stumble under the load. That's what our Lord promises in verse 6. Bless. There's a blessing here. Always look for the blessings in the Bible. Just zero in on the blessings and find out how to be the recipient of a blessing. A blessing is something only God can give and is so desirable. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1 tells us about the, the blessedness of the man. And here our Lord says, blessed is he. If he points out and says, this is the kind of person that will be blessed, I want to find out that, don't you? I want to find out what it means. Blessed is he whosoever, and that, that's a broad term that you could put your name in that box, okay? Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. That shall not is a very powerful, determined stance. I shall not be moved. We sing that old Indian tune though no one join me i will follow i will follow i have decided to follow jesus that's not just a one-time decision at camp or vacation bible school or in a service like this we've cast our lot with him if the boat does sink that's the only it'll have to sink we're with the lord we we placed our souls in His hand based solely upon His Word. I have decided. There's a blessing here for those who will not be offended. Blessed is He, happy is He, to, envied is He who takes no offense in me and, and finds no cause for stumbling in me and is not hindered. The expanded translation reads, There is the blessing of a quiet heart. Job found this to be true in Job 22, verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. What a, what a statement coming from a man who lost everything, humanly speaking. Get to know, get yourself to know the Lord with him and be at peace. In fact, as we mentioned this morning, the only way to have peace is to know him. But not just as Savior, but know his ways Trace His doings. Follow Him in the deep things the Lord is doing in our life. Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. 
Job is a good one to follow his advice. He found it to be true. He put him to the test. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, you can quote these verses, many of you. There thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. God gives his peace to those who refuse to be offended. And then there is the blessing of a surrendered will. Well, Brother Lamb, I'm saved. I've known the Lord for many years, and we praise the Lord for that time when we came to know Him savingly. But I have found in these almost 40 years of my own conversion that I must constantly, daily, surrender my stubborn, stubborn will. Psalm 31, verse 15, David praised God and said, My times are in thy hand. The seconds of my life, the span of my life, is in your hand. There's a hymn that says, My times are in thy hands, my God, I wish them there. My life, my affairs, my loved ones, my all, I leave entirely to thy care. The Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself. There's the blessing of a fruitful testimony. Think of the testimony of Abraham and Lot and Daniel and Joseph and John. All are a blessing to us right now. This very story... This very incident in John's life is recorded for our learning and admonition. No, he was not miraculously set free from from jail. There was not a big homecoming and cheering for John as he left jail. He was beheaded for the cause of Christ. I can only imagine his entrance into heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I guarantee you there was a cheering squad on the other side when this faithful prophet of God entered heaven's gates. And so I ask us tonight, have you taken it all to the Lord? And like Job said, though he slay me, I will serve him. What a statement. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain mine own ways. Before him. Have you committed and said, Lord, I will not be offended. No matter what transpires in these troubling days. Though the foundations be destroyed. Though the mountains fall. I will not be offended. I am not going to let this get me off base. I am not going to bow to these circumstances. But I will trust in the Lord. Blessed is he. Whosoever shall not be scandalized by me, offended in me, caused to stumble. May the Lord bless His precious Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, You have led us to this hour and will lead us all the way home. We are confident of that. But along the way, we realize that there are going to be circumstances that overwhelm us. But Your Word is true. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord, lead us. Lead us 
by your spirit and by your word. Lead our church, Lord. And we pray for our nation, Lord. Lead us. Would you not once again smile on us? Oh, Lord, no doubt you've allowed the circumstances as they are to cause your people to cry out in faith and to labor in prayer. Pray, will you not revive us again? Lord, we pray for a third great awakening. You can do that. Your arm is not shortened. Lord, if you do not choose to do those things, we will not be offended in you. We have cast our lot with you and purpose to follow you. In Jesus' precious name.